0: Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary, Fran, and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you.
0: Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient? The book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 best sellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I am Mary Fran Bontempo. This is my buddy and partner in crime, Kristen Smedley. And today we have a really cool, interesting guest. This is a friend introduced to us by our good buddy, Chip Baker. Andrea Bittner is now wait, I want to read this because I want to read this and get it all right. Well, she's a proud mom. Yay! Two beautiful daughters. English language teacher, reading specialist, literacy coach, mentor, and the first-time author of "Take Me Home." Um, I'm going to let her get into her story and and tell you all about her. So, Andrea, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're we're excited to have you here. So, the reason that I really want to get into this is people who are learning a second language. There's this sort of automatic If you're the native and you speak the language, there's there's a there's a bit of a dismissal, I think, when when we're seeing people who are, you know, struggling with the language. And and a lot of Americans are, you know, it's English. Why doesn't everybody speak English? You know, that's just what you're supposed to do. But the humanity that you can bring to this, knowing firsthand what these uh, kids and you're dealing with kids for the most part, um, go through is, is really something that we all need to keep in mind. So tell us a little bit about your background, and then I want to get into Take Me Home.
2: Sure. So um, I've been in education now for about 21 years and um, started out as a high school English teacher, quickly learned um, that a lot of the kids I was working with didn't know how to read. And so it bothered me enough to say, I've got to do something about this. I, you know, I've trained to be a teacher, but I haven't trained in literacy. So let me go back to school and let me learn how to teach these kids how to read. So I took some time and I did that and I got a master's in reading. And from there, I became a reading specialist. And while I was working um, in a district in Chester County with um, students in middle school level who were sharpening their reading skills at the time, I was exposed for the first time to working with English language learners. And there was this great teacher next to me and he ran that program. And I started to get really curious about well, what is it like, you know, to be an English language learner and what kinds of skills could I acquire to help them learn to read, write, speak, and listen to English? And what are their stories and where are they coming from? And are they all the same? You know, and I used to start to get really curious. So from that experience, I went back to school again um, and I did a two-year program to learn how to be an English language learner teacher. And for me, it was, such a blessing because I've now worked in that field specifically, straddling reading specialists in ELL, and now I'm full-time ELL, which is English Language Learner. And for me, it was meeting some of the most resilient, courageous families and these students that come every single day, no matter what, ready to learn, ready to get up, ready to do it again on all different levels. And what I learned really quickly is something to your point is that they're not all the same. So, you know, we have students that were born here. Most of our kids are born here now. We are, that are just bilingual kids walking in the door in kindergarten that spent five years with mommy and daddy and separate family members who were listening and speaking to a different language. And then English is their first go when they've come into school.
1: You know, we have kids
2: that were adopted. We have kids that were exchange students. We have kids who lived in their country for five or 10 years while mom and dad came and set up shop and brought them later. Um, you know, we have kids who crossed the border. <laughs> We have kids who um, waited for a visa forever and then finally got that opportunity and came with everybody. You know, So every situation is different. We have kids that were in formal schooling. So when they came, their roots were really strong in their first language, or kids that had never been to school or a completely different school system who we had to start with in square one. So I learned really quickly that that assumption piece is really important because assume nothing until you start to ask a lot of questions.
1: Um, oh, okay, so I'm taking notes. That's the first one. Assume nothing until you start yeah. to ask a lot of questions. I love that.
2: That's yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, just get curious. You know, get get really curious. First you one. know what's
0: interesting, Andrea? Is I'm hearing you talk. This is what I want to point out to our listeners. When you listen with a lens of brilliantly resilient, you hear things differently than than uh, not listening with that lens. And you know, I'm betting a lot of people, probably almost all of our listeners, are hearing oh, they, their parents came over first and they were back home and, oh my goodness, and, and had school here. All these different things sound like insurmountable challenges that they're way behind everybody else. But but here, and, it, and I know that it comes from raising two blind kids and, and the stuff that Mary Fran's been through and how we've done this process of brilliantly resilient. Listening with that lens, I'm hearing, oh my gosh, there's no entitlement there. Like they probably embrace the educational opportunity that they have. And it must be as much as they have all the struggles too and the challenges with what they're bringing to the table as a former teacher, you know, I'm thinking that must be amazing to have kids coming into a room that, that really want to get this and have had the struggles to get
2: there and appreciate it more so than some other kids might. Do you agree? They do. They do. And what takes them a while to really embrace is that the idea that they're learning a second language is an asset and not a handicap. Because when they first come onto the scene, whether it be their parents or their their children that we're working with, their parents have done their very best, whether it be to be born here and give them an opportunity to be here or to come later. Any way you look at it, their parents have done their very best to give them an education that maybe they didn't have for free, by the way because they're elementary and middle and high school students. And so while their parents are out working and picking up the skills they need in the workplace to provide for them, they are their hope in our district particularly to transform their family into an even better life than they've had before. And so, you know, it's our job to, to enable them to have all the resources and all the supports and all the learning they can have to be able to do that. And you know, one thing I've noticed you know, in the last couple of weeks with conversations with these parents, is their first question for us is, is my child doing their very best? Yeah. Is my child doing their very best? And that's been across every conversation I've had. And that's the expectation. I did my best. I'm getting up. I'm resilient every single day to get you what you need. I expect you to be doing your best in the situation that I've placed you in. in education. You know,
1: wow. this brings to mind uh, something that, um, you know, to, to Kristen's point, People coming into the, this who really want to learn, and, and we see what they're doing, this this resilience that we talk about that's inherent. They live this every single day, and they almost don't, they don't see it necessarily as a burden. They see it as an opportunity.
2: They whereas, do. Whereas,
1: you know, whereas I hate to, I, I hate to generalize, but a lot of, uh, you know, American kids, kids who are blessed to, to have been born here. They they don't understand yet, then they won't until they get to be adults and they get out into the world and all that, but they don't understand this concept of you get knocked down, you get up, you get knocked down, you get up, and you just keep at it and keep at it. So what you're telling us is that this resilience is a skill that they practice every single day. They do. It's such a
2: period of transition for them. I call it that transition tunnel where you're really uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. considering the fact it takes one to three years to acquire your social language, and five to 10 to apply your academic, you are really committing to being in it for the long haul. And so absolutely, it takes them a while with what we like to call that they've learned that they have this secret party trick because it's really amazing to watch a kid realize right around, if they're younger, they don't understand when they're younger that they even know a second language. You know, my first and second yeah. graders, they they can switch like a light switch back and forth, you know, between Arabic and English or Russian and English or Twi and English, you know, you can watch them. Um, but right around third grade, it, you know, they'll start to go, oh, I know something that other people don't know, you know, and, I, and we call it their secret party trick, like, yeah, you can turn that on whenever you want, can't you, you know, and yeah, I can, you know, and then they go through this odd phase through middle school where it's like kind of strange, they don't want people to know that they have this opportunity and they have this asset And so that's part of our job is, you know, as people who interact with them, everybody on the team in the building to say, no, this is something that's going to help you later in life and be proud of it. And for their parents as well, you know, you are giving your child an opportunity to be bilingual. That's amazing. There's not a lot of people that can do that here in the U.S., you know, so trying to flip that. I say flip the script instead of that. We want English right now. It's like you're learning English. You know, I try to flip that script and turn that around. I love it.
0: I love that you said
2: asset because I'm right there with
0: you. Like I see I'm in the disability space. Of course, I'm raising blind kids and I see disability as an asset. There's so many pieces of it. Like my we are actually working on this short film called The Edge because my boys have skills that give them the edge over kids their age and when they eventually get into the job market, you know, over other employees. And and I love that you say, and you have such a positive mindset, because the rest of the world doesn't see it that way. And that's what we need to flip that whole perspective and perception on this is when you look at it as an asset, oh my goodness, and bring the joy and, and all that you bring to this, to bring that out of these kids and really have them focusing on the positive and they're already coming to you in a state of gratitude, The learning and stuff that can come out of that as opposed to the burden, the statistics,
2: the negative is uncanny. It absolutely is. Yes. And and you're right. They have this innate appreciation for it from a very early age. And no matter what time they're coming into the school experience here, their families have instilled that in them from a very early age. And so really what it comes down to is, is building a team around them now that will respect, accept and admire them for the, where the place that they are in and and have a plan. You know, that used to be a big mantra in our ELL family is what's your plan? You know, you were brought here for a reason or you were born here and your parents expect your best. So what are we going to do about that? You know, staying in, the, in this one place or going back to your country where they brought you from is not an option anymore. So what is your plan to move forward with that? And we used to really celebrate that idea as they worked through high school.
1: Hmm. I love the idea that you you talk about this support network, because we're big on the tribe over here. I mean, that is, we both found out very early in our, in our struggles and in our crises that we didn't know what the heck we were doing. So we had to call in the experts and, you know, you are serving as that in that one capacity. But it goes beyond that because then those people get to know you. Those experts get to know you. They, they get to know your families as you do. And they get to know um, the personalities of the kids involved. And that support network is so valuable. And, and not only in the moment, but I know these kids carry this with them as they move forward, whether they're your current students or not. They do. And you're
2: right. That support network is essential to their success. Uh, it's always that we before me mentality. And, you know, how are we as a team, we are stronger together, going to build a net for this family or for these students, any students really, you know, in, in, any, in any people anywhere, you know, how can you surround yourself with the support system that you need or surround yourself with people who can help you find the resources you need so that you can propel yourself forward to reach your goals. And that was something that we really felt built within our EL program was that support network and, and those teams of teachers we were ready to learn and to work together and fail together, right? And get up again and try something else yeah. um, because, you know, there are plenty of times we've done that too. And that's how we've been learning,
1: but we are better together. I love that. So I want to switch to the book. Now I want to talk cool. about, I want to talk about take me home, um, okay. which it, well, I want you to tell us what this is about, but clearly it is about your experience with these students. And you you, you mentioned that there were 11 kids, I think it was in particular, that, that you focused on in the book. So tell us about that. Yes. So Take Me Home is a true story. It's based
2: on the experiences of these former students uh, that I worked with for a period of about six or seven years. And I um, worked with one particular family, the Lopez family. And I happened to be honored to teach all of their children. There were seven oh,
1: of them. Wow. And, oh my you,
2: goodness. and were yes, so they were connected via cousins or aunts or uncles. They were all part of the same family and they were all boys and there was one girl. And oh, her name her name was Nancy. And so I had been working in the EL fa- you know, field for quite a while and got the opportunity to work with this particular family. And they were all from the uh, country of Salvador, which I've had the opportunity to visit a few times and do some work down there with the school. So I was really familiar with the dynamics of the family. And so I was teaching one day and there were some helicopters flying overhead. And I thought we, my school is in an area where we have a lot of train tracks. And I thought, oh, all right. I hope everything's okay. Like, there's some helicopters today. That's kind of strange. And I kept teaching. And about an hour later, my principal came down to get me to tell me that uh, one of my students in this family had been hit by the train, gosh. and oh, um, and so Nancy uh, had been hit and and killed by the train. Oh my and gosh. And oh, so um, I was immediately in shock and, but knew that we had to spring into action. We had this huge EL family at the time. In addition to this family, there were about 40 students I was working with from all over the world, with all those different experiences we talked about. And that experience really shook the core of all the kids and all the families and, and the community that we had built. So one of the biggest challenges of that day, in addition to what had happened, was that there were no translators around in the area on the local forces to help the family understand what had happened to one of their children because no one there spoke a different language. You're kidding. And and it was a really tough time. And so the family was brought to the train tracks and they were calling all of their different children to figure out who was there. And so once they had determined a few hours later, they were able to get a translator to come. Um, they had determined that Nancy had been killed. Um, she didn't see the train. She the, We worked with the, the police force for the weeks following to go through everything. And um, in the video, you can see she's walking along the right side and the inside part of the track. And for some reason, she didn't choose to use the overpass. And so she was clipped from behind by the Acela. And she had some headphones on. And so for the for, it was a pretty traumatic experience for everyone involved. And so we worked with the family, we worked with the government, we we worked with navigating the funeral process, because mom and dad are um, working in the city, dad's a pastor, mom is wonderful, working in the church as well, and they weren't sure how to navigate this process of of burying their daughter. And so I spent the next few weeks working with them, planning the funeral, like I said, contacting government officials to look at the visa process to see if we could get her brother to come, which they ended up denying. And so going through those that tumultuous time and watching that community embrace her parents and every day showing up with food, with comfort, with conversation to help them bury their daughter. And so once we went through that experience, um, I had to write this short poem at the time, and um, I decided to call it "Take Me Home," and it was a tribute to her her uh, crossing into the U.S. And so I read that at the funeral and worked with the kids, and I've maintained relationships with their parents and all these wonderful kids since then. And I kind of tucked it away after the funeral, I continued to teach and had this on a piece of paper. And a few years later, I brought it out one day, I saw it and I thought, you know what, maybe somebody somewhere could learn from this. Maybe this could be something that would help another student learning the language or a family. And so I tucked it away and then I brought it back out and I sent it out to some publishers and I thought, let's see what happens. Well, one publisher got back to me and they said, hey, Andrea, we like your poem, but we want more. We want you to write a book and we want you to tell a bigger story. And I thought, all right. So I said, they said, we're going to give you six months to do it. And if you come back with something that we like, then we are going to publish your story. And so I was like, well, you know what? I don't just want to tell her story. I've been working in this field for over 15 years, 21 years total. I feel like, you know, as a support teacher, I've always navigated and worked well with others, but now I have something I want to say. Now I have something that I feel is a message that could help the world. And so I went back and interviewed former students that are mentioned in the book. And I had a conversation with every single one of them. And I woke up one night with a dream and I pummeled out all these questions. And I thought, I want to tell what it's really like now that you're a bilingual, successful, professional young person living in this country. What was it really like for you to go through that experience? How were you able to be successful every day, be resilient, be courageous, be motivated and come out on the other side of the mountain? And so I interviewed them and, and there was, was a little bit of pre-COVID, during COVID. So I was FaceTiming and taking notes and pr- prior to that meeting at Panera Bread and having conversations. And so from every conversation, and I hit almost every continent in the world, came a message or a topic and that made me go, and that's your chat and that's your chat. And so I was able to create uh, different names for a couple of reasons, but I wanted to protect their privacy. But more importantly, from every conversation, something that they would say would make me go, hmm, you're going to be embrace. You're going to be navigate. You're going to be fuel. You're going to be grit. You're going to be uh, change, etc., etc." So I was able to come up with different names and weave Nancy's story through it. So I went back and interviewed her parents, and we had an awesome conversation about her crossing into the U.S. and what that experience was like. And so Take Me Home is included in the book um, at the end, but the book itself is a, is a compilation of all their true stories with a positive message. And it's written in English and Spanish. So it's written in English and in the same book, it repeats in Spanish. That was going to be my question for you if you had that done. Um, That's yeah, amazing. And- That was important. Yes. I wanted to show people what it might be like to take a peek at a second language and and try it out, you know, to see. Um, And I also wanted to show her parents that I felt the respect that they deserve because they are learning English themselves, but they can read and write in Spanish. And I wanted them to be able to read about their own daughter. And that was important.
1: Wow, that's I, I. I'm just I am rarely, as Kristen will say, I am rarely speechless. But I am I am pretty pretty close to speechless with this. I mean, what what a story to to first of all that that starts with with a, a tragedy and it's 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 rough to to recognize this. But I think a lot of things that really reach us in our souls do unfortunately end up starting at that place where we've we've experienced some kind of a loss of one kind or another. But then to take that and and as Kristen and I both found, when you experience some kind of a loss, to take that and then make meaning out of it, that makes it transcend the pain and, and bring something good into the world out of it. And clearly you have done that. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you and I'm curious now to what was the reaction of the people, the kids that the kids, the adults now, I guess that you interviewed when they saw this in in print. What was their? They must have been oh, beyond thrilled.
2: They're so proud, and I said, you know, it's it's their story. I'm just the lucky one that got to write it. You know, this is their message, and I just keep really bringing home the point to them. Look at what you're doing. You know, the reactions that have been coming back through this story, other kids and teachers and colleagues that are changing the perspective on, you know, what it's like to be bilingual and learning in America. And they're just so proud and excited. And, you know, I have big, big dreams for them. I hope one day that they get to be on podcasts themselves. I told them, I hope we get to meet Oprah. I hope we get to, (laughs) you know, I hope we get to go on Ellen, you know, not for me, for them. You know, I I think that their faces, you know, and they're willing to put them forward are, are going to make such a game change in perspective in the country.
0: Well, you know, I was sitting here thinking the exact same thing, Andrea, that this this is something that, I mean, you're literally like touching my soul with this because I've been on that side of this for 21 years where people think that that my blind sons, even though they've outachieved everyone, they just have this like second class, you know, like people just kind of look at people with disabilities like, hmm. Not on an, all I've ever wanted was an even playing field. I don't need up here superpower. Just treat everybody the same. And you're coming from the same place. Cause we know how, I, I want everybody to hear this, this whole story of yours, because that moment of, of this family being at the train, at the site of where their child isn't with us anymore, and they can't get an interpreter. They have nobody, like, I feel like it should be on us as Uh, I I love our first responders and all of the people and, and teaching and all, but there needs to be a little more onus on us here in America to know some of this, you know, to communicate with everybody, right? We keep putting it on everybody that comes in that they need to be able to communicate with us. Well, where's the middle ground, right? Like there should be a little more middle ground there. And I keep thinking of that family at the site of this horrific thing where they can't get the information. So I think it is important that, that this gets out there and that things change in a positive way. But here's where I find that there are no coincidences in this world. I literally this morning did a post on LinkedIn about, I, you know, I had to walk away from teaching when I had to raise my blind sons. And then last week I was sort of in a classroom, I was on Zoom with my book and not just talking about blindness anymore. Now it's like Brilliantly Resilient has weaved in and I'm able to say to these, all these fourth graders Oh, in, in, being resilient in, in raising blind kids, here's what I learned about life and taught them some life lessons. Right. So I did a post on LinkedIn about it this morning and I started it with a quote from Robert Frost that you are so embodying right now. He said, I'm not a teacher, but an awakener, like you no. are awakening people to this concept of, Hey, it's a big world and we all have our role in it. And these kids and families are doing so much to basically to like be proud in this country and live the lives that they're supposed to live. And the parents do so much for these kids who are so, the kids are so grateful. Mm -hmm. And then we have these connotations and, and, you know, assumptions that we're making and you're awakening everybody to wait a minute. This is a bigger
2: picture. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And really that's our mission is to teach people that, Lack of language does not equal lack of intelligence.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. You know, if you drop a me lot in of Russia, people who can speak the language have the intelligence problem. Let's just, <laughs> Let's just be clear. They're not mutually exclusive or
2: inclusive. No, they're not. You know, they're not. And, and it's the same idea with a disability. You know, a disability does not equal lack of ability.
1: Right. You know,
2: absolutely not. You know, and so I really do hope that people do a week into that idea and, and embrace it. And when they meet someone learning, uh, you know, a new language or learning anything new, you know, for the first time, give them the space that they need to feel respected, accepted and admired about it until they're ready to be brave enough to to try something else.
1: We were I mean, we were all first time learners. Every single one of us was a first time learner at virtually everything. You know nothing until you learn it. Yeah. I mean, you know nothing until you learn it, but here's what I love about, again, as Kristen said, you're so, you're hitting so many of our, our little brilliantly resilient points here by taking the stories of these individuals and pointing out to them, you know, your grit, your empathy, your embrace, your whatever the names are, you are highlighting their personal brilliance. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, we don't often see ourselves some most times it takes some because it comes naturally to us Mm -hmm. so most times it takes someone else who knows us or whatever to point that out to us and say look this is where you shine so you know that was the gift that not only that you gave those individuals but then also brought to the rest of the world to go look look at how this person did this in their life. And and then that person, the reader can look at it and go, hey, I've done that. So maybe that's a part of me too. Absolutely. And that that connection piece is so important, you know, that people can connect
2: with others who are doing what you want to do. And it's important that you try to find people and seek people out like that, who can be your support system. I mean, think about it. Is it Jim Rohn that said you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with? You know, if you're if you're a little guy or, or a student in a building, you don't really get a choice about the five teachers you spend the most time with. So let's, you know, be aware as educators or, or in the business place. You know, if you're learning something new in a new line of work, let's be the people that are a solid,
1: positive average for them to, to help rise them up and help them up and recognize that you can choose the people that you spend time with through reading through what you choose to put in yourself. You know those those the people that you should spend the most time with that can change, but if you pick people like yourself who tell stories that are inspirational and lift us up and teach us a lesson, those can be the people that you spend the most time with too. So I, I can't thank you enough. We could talk to you probably for the next 3 hours because <laughs> I, as I said, I'm rarely speechless, but I we could probably go on and on and on. But I really want people to know where they can find out more about you, support your work, and get, um, get hold of Take Me Home. Well, thank you. Well, Take Me Home is available on many platforms. Uh, you can
2: purchase it on Amazon. You can purchase it through Barnes & Noble. Um, my mom telephoned me. Apparently, it's online for Target. Didn't know that. Um, wow. and I and, thought and you I mean, were going to say you
1: could call my mom. You could do that,
2: too. <laughs> You could do that too. Um, and uh, yes, and through the publisher, Austin McCauley. Um, so there are various avenues. You can access the book. It's available in English and Spanish Is one copy. Uh, I saw that they put it in Spanish on the Kindle version. Um, and in addition to that, um, other there's other platforms. So uh, we are also on social media. We are on Instagram at, at Andrea Bittner Books. And same for Facebook. There's an Andrea Bittner book group. And same for Twitter at Andrea Bittner Books. So we can follow our journey there. People have been posting their reflections, connections, questions. Uh, the students are starting to dive into the idea of doing some small speaking groups and some, some obs- observations on their part uh, and what it might be like to continue to live here. And I'm just happy to support them.
1: That's awesome. Well, you have to you have to let us know about that because we would love to have some of them on the on the show to talk to talk to us directly about their experiences. But you know, we happen to be recording this during Thanksgiving week, so I can't think of a mm. a better way to, to you know, go into this week at, with, with this feeling of gratitude for you and the work that not only that you're doing for those people, but for lifting up the rest of us. And as Kristen said, awakening our consciousness to different ways of looking at people, different ways of understanding, and different ways of all being part of the same brilliantly resilient community. So... Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been um, fun.
1: It has been, and I'm going to let Kristen uh, take us out because she knows all the right stuff to say about us, and I always forget everything. <laughs> well, thanks, Andrea, for being here. You really—I
0: mean—you are like firing all of our teacher neurons here, and all of our gratitude and um, and really awakening. So many things in uh, you've really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff, so I appreciate all of your work, and I want to also say I really appreciate the, the publisher for saying yes to you and for pushing you to, to do an even bigger um, project so kudos to them, and for all of you that are still trying to figure out how to uncover your own brilliance. Um, and reset or rise wherever you're at in the continuum of living brilliantly resilient, go to brilliantlyresilient.net. We have all kinds of information there for you to download and get started on your journey. And while you're there, if you just blink three times, a magical window comes up, add your email address, and every week you'll get a bit of brilliance from us to keep moving forward. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be
1: inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.